The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Where Were You in 92 is a production of iHeartRadio. Oh. My. God, Becky. Look at her butt. It may be one of the most unforgettable opening lines of a song in the history of popular music. Say those words, and they instantly conjure images of rump-shaking models, a pair of very annoying valley girls, a man hanging out in the crack of an enormous gold ass, Cosmopolitan Magazine, Jane Fonda, Ross and Rachel's Baby on Friends, Burger King, Shrek, Nicki Minaj, Red Beans and Rice, High School Dances, Bar Mitzvahs, Keggers, Karaoke Birthday Parties, Sports Games, Wedding Receptions, okay, basically anything but funerals. The impact of Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back was massive, its legacy irrefutable and eternal. The song was big, thick, and juicy then, and it will forever be big, thick, and juicy. Well, they auditioned every, and I gotta say, every light-skinned girl out here in Los Angeles. Because you remember that's what they were doing that. They're very, you know, they can be colorist like that. That's Almond, the first black woman you see in the music video for Baby Got Back. She's the gorgeous, ample-bootied goddess slowly spinning around on a platform, towering above white Becky and her nasty, judgy white friend, posing in a tight-fitting yellow dress, all sultry and, as Almond puts it, sinewy, cast in the glow of the spotlight against an endless pink and purple sky. Like so many curvy women of color in 1992, Almond didn't see much of herself on TV and films or music videos. Like she said, many women like her weren't even getting auditions. By the way, yes... Almond does go by just her first name. She's earned it. So Mix had already told them what he was looking for, right? So they still sent them the light-skinned girls, you know, kind of straight up and down, that type of girl, right? And then he said he had to have a meeting. He said, this is not what I'm looking for. I told you guys what I was looking for. My agent didn't even submit me. It was somebody working with her, saw my picture, and submitted me, sent me on the audition. I was the very last person to audition. 
When Sir Mixala unleashed Baby Got Back in May of 1982, the rapper had no idea the hit he had in his hands. That hit would go on to spend five weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles chart and become the second best-selling single of that year after, wait for it, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Yep, right behind the theme from The Bodyguard was the theme from The Bootyguard, the man who cherished and wished to protect large asses at all cost. Mix would have taken a bullet for one of these bubbly, beautiful backsides, but he wouldn't pull a gun on someone over one. Okay, more on that later. But if it became a whopping success, some listeners didn't know what to make of Baby Got Back. Was it just a fleeting, frivolous novelty song? Yet another example of a male hip-hop artist objectifying women? A celebration of the real-life, voluptuous Black female form and, therefore, an honest-to-goodness, body-positive feminist anthem? My answer? I think Sir Mix-a-Lot was having his <clears throat> cake and eating it, too. But he'd be the first to admit it. And regardless of what you thought or think of Baby Got Back, you other brothers and sisters and humans can't deny that there had never been, nor will there ever be again, a song quite like it. Welcome to Where Were You in 92, a podcast in which I, your host, Jason Lanfier, look back at the major hits, one-hit wonders, shocking news stories, and irresistible scandals that shaped what might be the wildest, most eclectic, most controversial 12 months of music ever. It was the year of big butt anthems, achy breaky hearts, and Madonna's sex book. It was the year that Boys to Men and Whitney Houston shattered Billboard chart records, while George Michael, U2, and TLC confronted the AIDS crisis head on. It was the year that introduced us to grunge, G-Funk, and Right Said Fred. Featuring interviews with critics, obsessives, industry bigwigs, directors, producers, and the artists themselves, this series poses the question, what was it about 1992 that made it so groundbreaking so riotous, so fun, and so batshit crazy. This week, we look back at Sir mix huge hit, and as far as the charts were concerned, only hit, Baby Got Back, an infectious ode to the black female booty that took America by storm, arriving with an innuendo-packed video that MTV initially rejected because of its racy visuals. Yet the song not only helped spark the body positivity movement two decades before it became the cri de cœur of women all over the country, it also provided a fresh, more dimensional, and necessary representation of Black women to its audiences. How and why did this hip-hop classic leave such a vast pop cultural imprint? Why does its legacy still loom so large today? To answer those questions, we first have to look at the man behind this undeniable tribute to Behinds, Anthony Ray, a.k.a. Sir Mix-a-Lot. As Dowdy Abbey explains in his 2020 book, Emerald Street, A History of Hip-Hop in Seattle, Nasty Mixed Records was a surprising success story given that hip-hop was primarily coming out of New York City at the time. Seattle wasn't even on most hip-hop bands' radars. Unlike grunge, which became synonymous with Seattle, no quintessential Seattle hip-hop sound existed. That notion was practically laughable. Yet here was Mix, releasing two albums in the late 1980s, Swaz and Seminar, that eventually went platinum. Mix grew up in the city's central district, 
And while he had no musical training, he was a big fan of the German electronic music pioneers Kraftwerk. And he became adept at using not only turntables, but machines and equipment like the Roland 808 drum machine, Korg and Moog synthesizers, and the Commodore 64 computer to create tracks in his apartment. He was also heavily influenced by the Emerald Street Boys, the first hip-hop artist to break out in Seattle. Mix first made a name for himself performing at weekend parties at the Boys and Girls Club in the Central District. For one dollar, guests could hang out in the gym and listen to him scratch records, splay samples together, and rap. In 1984, Nasty Rez Rodriguez, the host of K-Fox's Fresh Tracks, the first popular rap radio show in Seattle, went to one of Mix's sets. Impressed by his virtuosity, Rodriguez invited Mix to play his music on K-Fox, where he eventually became the most requested artist over the likes of Prince and Michael Jackson. Soon after, the pair combined their names to launch Nasty Mix Records, along with their partners, Ed Locke and Greg Jones. After putting out a couple of EPs, Mix earned a reputation outside Seattle for his single Square Dance Rap, which in 1986 landed him an invitation to England's first ever hip-hop festival, Fresh Fest UK, where he performed with acts like Africa Mambata and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. A year later, he released Posse on Broadway, a tribute to his home city partially inspired by the Beastie Boys' Paul Revere, in which Mix shouted out Seattle landmarks like Rainier Avenue and the local burger chain Dick's Drive-In. Its video ran on MTV, and the song peaked at number 70 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Posse on Broadway was a bit of a hip-hop rarity. While peers like N.W.A. referred to women as bitches and hoes, Mick shut down dismissive and violent behavior towards women. The cut's lyrics were counting how he maced a man he saw about to beat his girlfriend. Where so much of hip-hop at the time was filled with rage, anti-police rhetoric, and accounts of growing up marginalized and poor, Mix infused the songs on his 1988 debut album, Swaz, with humor and positivity, detailing his aspirations to get rich, get famous, and get lucky. Swaz became the biggest selling album from an indie Seattle-based label in years. If Mix's second album, 1989 Seminar, had its more playful moments, for example, the song My Hoopty was about the rapper chugging along in a clunker while his Mercedes-Benz was in the repair shop, it was more socially conscious than Swaz. The Peekaboo game, for example, addressed teen pregnancy, the sex trade, and sexual abuse. Meanwhile, National Anthem was a critique of extreme patriotism and America's foreign policy. Mix's ambition paid off. He scored interviews with the already popular UMTV Raps and BET's Rap City. And like its predecessor, Seminar went platinum, selling more than a million copies. But if Mix was achieving a new level of stardom on his own terms, things were hardly perfect, and they were about to change drastically. While Mix was still green, he knew he wasn't happy with the promotion of Seminar. Taking cues from his one-time tour mate, Public Enemies Chuck D, he decided to stand up for himself. He tapped Ricardo Frazier, a precocious intern at Nasty Mix, to be his manager. Fun fact, Frazier reps Mix to this day. Seminar marked the end of Mix's contract with Nasty Mix, who at that point owed Mix north of $300,000. He and the label went to court, and after spending a boatload of cash, Mix ultimately got his old masters. Nasty Mix shuttered in 1992, and Mix was free to secure a new label. When asked today, Mix says he has no animosity toward Nasty Mix. 
Despite losing a ton of money, Mix found himself on the market at an opportune time. Hip hop, at least a tamer, less angry, more accessible, okay, meaning more accessible to white listeners, strain of hip hop was building steam. MC Hammer had become the first hip hop artist to achieve diamond status with his 1990 album, Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, featuring the huge hit, You Can't Touch This. Meanwhile, Vanilla Ice's 1990 smash, Ice Ice Baby, had reached number one and gone platinum. Enter Rick Rubin. After leaving Def Jam Records, the label he founded with Russell Simmons that propelled the careers of hip-hop titans like the Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Public Enemy, and Run DMC, the producer Mastermind had just founded Def American Records. He gave Mix his own Def label, Rhyme Cartel Records. Ricardo Frazier would serve as president, and Mix would be CEO. Mix's first release on the label was his third album, 1992's Mac Daddy the record that contained the single that would catapult Mix's own career. Sir Mix-a-Law had written about social issues facing women before, but a new song he was working on, Baby Got Back, was personal. He'd been dating an aspiring actress and model, Amalia Dorsey Rivas, who was struggling to find work because of her size, particularly the size of her backside. She was half black, half Mexican, and curvy. One night, when the couple was watching the Super Bowl in a hotel room during one of Mix's tours, they saw a Spud McKenzie Budweiser ad. The models in it were stick thin, including the sole black model in it. If Mix was shocked and incensed, Amelia wasn't at all. She got it. As she said in a 2013 Vulture interview, where I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle, if you weren't built like Paris Hilton, you weren't appreciated. I worked at a modeling agency as a teenager, and I taught hair, makeup, and runway classes to six-foot-tall girls who weighed 90 pounds. But I didn't get much work, and neither did anyone who looked like me. This pissed Mix off. In fact, the lack of adequate and accurate representation of Black women in the media, period, pissed him off. In his mind, Hollywood and the music industry had been underserving these women for decades. The early 90s were no different. I tracked down Sir Mix-a-Lot to talk about his inspiration for the song. If you go back to that era, there were two types of African-American women that succeeded in Hollywood. Basically, you either had to assimilate to white culture or you were the underestimated maid that worked for a white family and they would advise the children on what to do correctly because mom just didn't get it. Or you'd be the streetwise hooker on an episode of Law and & Order, um, and, and that was it. Mix couldn't stand seeing Black women consistently reduced to stereotypes, nor did he agree with the standards of beauty the magazines like Cosmopolitan were propagating. To him, the rail-thin women on those pages were neither realistic nor attractive. He thought women with curves were sexy and knew plenty of other Black men did too, yet women with hourglass figures were nowhere to be found in the hip-hop and R&B videos he was seeing. His outrage incited him to write a hard-hitting track protesting the absence of real Black women in the media. But as the song came together, Mix realized its lyrics were actually pretty funny. Maybe, he thought, he should lean into the humor. Of course, anyone who's heard Baby Got Back knows that it's the humor that sells it. Floating effortlessly over a beat sampled from Channel One's 1986 early Detroit techno song, Technicolor, Mix's verses manage to be both ridiculous and sublime. Even if it teeters on the edge of sounding like a commercial jingle, 
Its rhymes are clever, hooky, and just weird enough to leave an impression. Oh, Rumple Smooth Skin, you say you want to get in my bends? Well, use me, use me, because you ain't that average groupie. Okay, notice here how Mick subverts a classic fairy tale and takes the submissive role. Okay, that's clever. Shake that healthy butt. Okay, if that ain't body positive, then I don't know what is. I'll keep my women like Flojo. Okay, who in hip hop in 1992 name checked Olympic gold medal winning track and field athletes in their music? Rick Rubin, genius that he is, had already pushed Mix to make Baby Got Back more upbeat. And he had another clever idea. When Mix delivered a punchline, the music would fade out to really accentuate it. Okay, so for example, my anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. But the most brilliant artistic choice and twist was Mix enlisting none other than his girlfriend, Amelia Dorsey Rivas, to voice that catty valley girl talking to Becky at the beginning of the song. Dorsey Rivas was adopted and had grown up with various foster kids and picked up a ton of accents. A half-black woman mocking the voice of a white woman, mocking a black woman on her figure in a number one hit single. That's got to be one of the most amazing fuck yous in pop music history. Still, if Mix was pleased with the results, he never planned to release Baby Got Back as a single. Dan Charnas is an author and professor of music, history, and writing at the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at the Tisch School of the Arts in New York University. But in 1982, he was in Los Angeles working in the rap department of Rick Rubin's Deaf American Recordings. He eventually became its vice president of A&R. But after Rubin signed Mix, Charnas was tasked with choosing the first single from his upcoming third album. The problem? Charnas was not a fan of Mix's music. Compared to the hip-hop artists he'd been promoting back in New York, like Run DMC, Special Ed, and Rob Bates, he thought Mix's stuff sounded unremarkable and derivative, in particular too similar to the Beastie Boys. When he sat down to listen to a cassette of Mix's new material, he thought the first two tracks were just fine. And then the third song, I think, was this song that began, Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt, right? in this whole song unfolds right and yeah it's funny you know like i like big butts and i cannot lie but as the lyrics you know as the sort of the verses are are spooling out i'm i'm realizing that this is actually a political song right that's charnas recalling to me the moment he knew mix wasn't just waxing horny he was tapping into the zeitgeist he was onto something it's funny because Amiri Baraka's daughter, Lisa Jones, wrote an essay for The Village Voice uh, a few weeks before I got that cassette called Venus Envy, in which she talked about how the white beauty aesthetic of very, very rail thin women, tall, pale, very few curves, how that was starting to be overthrown and subverted essentially by black popular culture and by artists like Janet Jackson, by the appearance of models like, um, I think her name was Beverly Peel. So Lisa Jones, she was, you know, talking about 
this this model who suddenly appeared on the pages of a major women's magazine with this sort of high booty, as she said, right? Now, this really wasn't the kind of figure that appeared in a women's magazine at the time. And she was she talked about in the same year that Public Enemy had released an album called Fear of a Black Planet, Lisa Jones was talking about, you know, lifting the fear of a big black butt, essentially. And so there was a feeling that culture was changing and that culture was changing in part because of music and in particular hip hop. And in that moment, to me, I became a Mix-A-Lot fan because this was sort of a rallying cry, right? Like, oh my God, Mix-A-Lot's a feminist, (laughs) you know, in my 24, 25-year-old mind. Charnas was electrified by the song. It marked the beginning of him starting to let go of some of his East Coast hip-hop snobbery. He called Ruben and told him they had to make Baby Got Back the first single for Mac Daddy. Ruben agreed. Mix did not. He really wanted the first single to be One Time's Got No Case, a tougher, more serious track about racial profiling that sampled Stevie Wonder's You Haven't Done Nothing. He feared Baby Got Back sounded too jokey. After some debate, Mix got his way. One Time's Got No Case was released as the first single. I put it out. Great video, but it flopped. And he said it would. And uh, so I said, all right, your turn. His towel between his legs, Mix agreed to put out Baby Got Back as Mac Daddy's next single and video. Little did he know that the decision would change his life forever. Next up, after the break, we dive into the bonkers story behind the Baby Got Back video. From Mix's creative demands, final ass approval for its dancers, to the creative tension over its crazy concept, to MTV's refusal to air it because of its offensive content. Also, was or wasn't a gun pulled on set? Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Producer Rick Rubin knew Baby Got Back to be massive. So to execute his vision for the video, he was going to need the right director. Someone who could drive Mix's message home, but also serve up the right visual nods and winks to reflect the song's sauciness and match its buoyant production. Ruben was a big fan of Adam Bernstein, who had created eccentric, kooky music videos for alt-rock goofballs, They Might Be Giants, and The Beastie Boys, but who was best known for directing the video for the B-52's 1989 smash, Love Shack. I had been approached earlier to do the big old butt, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do a body part video, you know what I mean? Like, uh, the the women that, you know, like, uh, my production company was owned by two women. I didn't, I was very, I was concerned about, you know, objectifying and stuff like that. That's Adam Bernstein telling you about his initial reservations about taking on Baby Got Back. However, after really listening to the song, he realized it wasn't just about objectification. It was a celebration. And, like, really, really funny. It wasn't just someone, you know, saying, I, I like big butts. Although he does say in the song he likes big butts. But it was, it was about, like, what, what the mainstream kind of norms of beauty were for the culture and, like, what was beautiful to him. So, you know, and what was beautiful in Black culture. Bernstein met with Mix to discuss the concept for the video. As he tells it, Mix envisioned himself emerging from an enormous ass. <laughs> okay, fortunately, Bernstein dissuaded him from doing that. But Mix is adamant about maintaining a certain level of creative control. One of Mix's biggest stipulations was that he wanted to sign off on all the model dancers cast in the video specifically on their asses. And Mix wanted personal approval over the booty. He wanted personal personal approval over all the butts. So I was in the kind of like slightly funny position of having to ask all these beautiful dancers if I could take a Polaroid of their butt. And most of them thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> and then we, we made a select and we sent this, we made a kind of a, this is before wide use of the internet. And we made kind of like a giant grid of all the butts. And we FedExed it up to Seattle for Mix to approve. Okay, I'm picturing Carrie Matheson on Homeland with her crazy wall of clues and leads. Except this time, it's a bunch of spandex-covered asses. For her part, Allman says she wasn't bothered at all by Bernstein asking to take a picture of her butt. She was there, as she told me, to work. Incidentally, you can see the snapshot of her butt flash across the screen in the music video. Bernstein enlisted Dana Hollister, the costume designer with whom he'd worked on the Beastie Boys' Hey Ladies video. Tasked with dressing the dancers with only a $500 budget, she got scrappy, making gold shorts and banana skirts, the latter of which she herself covered in glitter. Meanwhile, inspired by the booty-positive work of the photographer Jean-Paul Goud, who also inspired that 2014 Kim Kardashian Break the Internet Paper magazine cover, Bernstein crafted the ass of Mix's dreams out of fiberglass and pencil steel, a material used to make aircraft frames. 
When Mick showed up to shoot the video at the Chaplain studio in Los Angeles, he was stunned and overwhelmed. He'd never worked with a major label or seen cameras that big or an ass that big. It was gold, gigantic, and in his mind, gratuitous. And he was scared shitless. His song with a serious message was becoming like the literal butt of the joke. It was a big, yellow, paper mache looking ass, right? <laughs> what the hell? I didn't know it was going to be that big. First of all, that was like a planet. That was not a, that was not an ass. That was a planet, man. That was like Mars. Like they rolled it in and just, <laughs> I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, okay. And I had on all brown. And my guys just, oh my God. They said, yeah, you look like a dancing turd, like a piece of shit on a giant ass. Mix could live with the colossal ass. And he could live with the fact that some of the dancers were cast less for their booties and more for their actual, you know, like dance skills. What was non-negotiable was some of the dancers' attire. Mix would be the first to admit he viewed these women as sex symbols. But they weren't there for him to dismiss and ridicule. They were unattainable goddesses he worshipped. I didn't want to be a hypocrite, right? I had done done songs in the past saying I wanted to have sex with women all the time. So for me to all of a sudden go, no, that's really never been me. That's fake. So what I wanted to do was be me, but not win. When Mix arrived on set, he noticed one dancer wasn't styled to look like a goddess. To Mix, she looked trashy. I remember some kind of goofy shorts, real super tight tiger kind of shorts and necklaces. And it was just really nasty, right? And I'm like, this is the opposite of what I want. You know, I don't want her to be hood rat. I don't want her to be hoe. I wanted her to be just fine. That's it. And I want her to be seen as the norm and let these other chicks come off as, you know, haters. That model dancer was Almond, the first Black woman you see in the Baby Got Back video. She didn't like the outfit either. Mix came in and he was like, no, that's that's what we don't, I don't want that for her. Just so happened I had that dress that I auditioned in. So that dress that you see me in, that's the dress I auditioned in, and that's the dress that came out of my bag to get me out them shorts and that half tank top. If they managed to resolve the issue of almond styling, costume designer Dana Hollister still wasn't satisfied with Mix's all-brown ensemble. Even his friends on set thought he looked like shit. Like, real shit. In a 2013 Vulture interview, she said when she pushed back on his look, Mix pulled a gun on her. Hollister followed that up by saying he's a quote-unquote lovely guy. Bernstein has no recollection of this. Mix denies it ever happened. No, I, 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 I've I, always been in the guns. I, I got a bunch of them upstairs right now. Yeah. But you ain't, man, a black man traveling across state lines in the 90s during the gang era to make sure he could defend himself against a makeup artist. I did get pissed, but I did not pull a gun over some shorts. <laughs> Ultimately, Mix was happy with how the video turned out. Rather than undermine it, Bernstein realized Mix's vision and folded in enough humor, dancers impersonating Josephine Baker and a cone bra-clad Madonna with another doing kung fu-style kicks, and enough innuendo, whips cracking, cute little mini buns bouncing on turntables, and an insane dude-we-get-it amount of fruit to make the video one of the most memorable of its era. Even Bernstein's female colleagues were impressed. Initially, they were like, I just can't believe you did that. And then after it became this phenomenon and they began to understand like what the 
you know, what the cultural significance of the video was in terms of beauty norms and stuff, then they came around and they liked it. Bernstein went on to become a hotshot Emmy-winning TV guy, directing episodes of basically every series on the planet, including Breaking Bad, 30 Rock, Fargo, and Billions. But he fondly remembers those days, back when shooting music videos was the Wild West. It was still kind of an industry without adult supervision. Like there weren't you would just, you would kind of like just, a lot of it was just like a pitch and a handshake. You know, you would just kind of collaborate with whoever's song it was. It was a wide open business. And it was also, you know, on the filmmaking end, it was like the ultimate film school. Mix didn't fully comprehend the impact the song and video had until fans started approaching him. Yeah, some men would come up to him at the mall and ask him to touch and critique their ladies' asses, which sort of mortifies Mix today. But many Black women praised him for putting them in the spotlight, for loudly and proudly expressing his love and appreciation of the Black female form. Some even asked him for his autograph on their asses. And then Black women started to walk up and say, thank you. That part probably hit me more than anything else on, the, on a grand scale, just from city to city to city. To, and I'm talking about little kids. I'm not talking about 20-year-old girls. I'm talking about 35, 40-year-old women saying, thank you, about time. You know, we knew the brothers liked us, but they wouldn't say it publicly. Yet not everyone loved the video. One critic from New Jersey said Mix looked like a six-foot piece of shit jumping around on a big yellow ass. Meanwhile, some listeners considered it exploitative, sexist, and racist. Yes, that unfortunate miso-horny sample lifted from the movie Full Metal Jacket. Picketers protesting several of Mix's shows kind of bummed him out. But the biggest blow came when MTV very quickly decided it couldn't air the video at all. In 1992, Patty Galuzzi was in her late 20s and serving as the Senior Vice President of Music and Talent at MTV, where she worked from 1988 to 1998. Along with her team, she was responsible for deciding which videos could air on MTV and which could not. They based their decisions on guidelines issued by the network's Standards and Practices Department, which deemed certain content vulgar, offensive, or dangerous, mostly to children. Because the press had accused MTV of warping the minds of the youth, Standards and Practices was on high alert. Plenty of hip-hop videos would get lost in a sort of bureaucratic purgatory as the department evaluated images and parsed through lyrics to try to interpret them. In the past, it had refused to air songs like N.W.A.'s Straight Outta Compton, which it said promoted violence. Galuzzi wasn't personally offended by Baby Got Back, nor did she glean a deeper political message from it. She also doesn't like to say MTV banned Baby Got Back. She and her committee actually found it hilarious and loved it. But in addition to violence, nudity, and profanity, depictions of the female form were under intense scrutiny at the time. They knew a song solely about booty worship with a video featuring countless close-ups of twerking asses was dead on arrival. Here's how Bluesy explained it. There was specifically a rule that there should not be shots of women's body parts without there being a full face head attached to that shot of the woman. They didn't want women to, ha there to be shots of just boobs, ass, legs, things that would sexualize a woman. 
they didn't want shots of those in the music videos that kids were watching because they felt like that sort of over-sexualized women made women seem like sex objects. And they felt like if you add a face to (laughs) those body parts, it's less offensive. And when Baby Got Back came to us, it was an entire video devoted to a woman's ass. All I could think was, there's no way it's going to get through standards. Unsurprisingly, Mix was gutted when he found out MTV wouldn't air the video. I thought at that time, my career was over. I thought, wow, you just took, you just snatched the hit right from my hands and killed it. The rapper remembers voicing his frustration and dismay to Heidi Ellen Robinson, the publicist for Deaf American, which later became American Recordings. Her response still resonates with him today. I remember she takes this exhale like, well, Mix, you're now Elvis Presley and you shook your leg one too many times on the Ed Sullivan show. I will never, ever, ever in my life forget that because I realized Oh, shit, I'm the forbidden fruit, and that never dies. Still, Mix, Rick Rubin, and the promotions and publicity department behind Mac Daddy knew that to maximize the exposure and success of Baby Got Back, they needed more than radio play. Rubin even went so far as to have engraved plaques made that read, Call MTV regarding Mix-A-Lot that he left on all his staff members' desks. Together, the team devised a plan. One that involved a surprise meeting with Galuzzi. Galuzzi was in Seattle to speak at a radio convention. She worked in radio before going to MTV. When she arrived, she expected to reunite with people from the industry, but she didn't know anyone. Her first night there, she stayed in her hotel room and owned a room service. The next day, after she did her panel, folks signed up to talk to her, including the record executive Benny Medina, who was at Warner Brothers at the time. Medina would later manage the likes of J-Lo, Mariah Carey, P. Diddy, Usher, and Tyra Banks. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was loosely based on his life. Medina invited Gluzzi to dinner that night. She was thrilled. She found a friend. So she accepted the offer. When she arrived at the restaurant, Medina was seated at a table for four, next to Ricardo Fraser and an empty chair. We were, you know, doing our introductions and our niceties, and then... Someone comes in to sit in the empty seat, and it was Sir Mix-a-Lot. And um, I just immediately thought, oh, no, I've been ambushed. I'm going to spend this entire dinner just, you know, being yelled at or, you know, having to put up with hostile questioning about that video that we can't play And this is going to suck. Galuzzi explained that her hands were tied, that standards and practices would never sign off on a video that reduced women to their sexual body parts, that they needed to be portrayed as human beings. Mix had his counter-argument prepared. He calmly replied that he'd written this song in response to the deluge of images in the media that defined female beauty using a single archetype, the white, thin women as seen in the pages of Cosmo. This type of beauty was unachievable, he said, in particular for many African-American women, but actually for most women, period. That resonated to me. I mean, first of all, I personally was someone who would never be able to achieve that 
you know, standard of beauty. I mean, I could starve myself completely and never get there. And, um, and it just it just made perfect sense to me. Yeah, this is ridiculous. It's true. The standard for beauty nowadays is that you have to be almost anorexic. And that's crazy. Mix had convinced Galuzzi. But now Galuzzi had to convince her boss, the president of MTV, Judy McGrath. She arranged to meet with her back in New York. McGrath listened to Galuzzi's perspective, Mix's perspective, and the argument landed with her too. But it wasn't a done deal. To pacify standards and practices, Bernstein and his posse had to clean up the video. Some of its ass shots were replaced with the dancers' faces. Others were removed entirely. MTV then agreed to play the video after 9 p.m., when children were less likely to see it. As expected, the glow of the MTV limelight only boosted the song's growing popularity. Rick Rubin had predicted that Baby Got Back would be massive. And he was right. Love it or loathe it, the song was omnipresent, blowing up the airwaves and soaring up the Billboard Hot 100, where it eventually sat its big, fat, juicy tuchus in the number one spot for five consecutive weeks. Selling two million copies, it became certified double platinum. As Patty Galuzzi puts it, MTV needed Baby Got Back as much as it needed MTV. Seeing the round things in her face, she and the rest of the network got sprung. And new viewers would get sprung, too. You know, part of the thing for us at MTV was we just wanted to play stuff that we thought was great programming. And also stuff that would make people desperately want to be watching MTV, hoping that their favorite video would come on. And, you know... Baby Got Back was one of those kinds of videos. Well, getting his video played on MTV and airwaves all over the country was a huge key to his success. Mix's team knew they would also need to promote Baby Got Back and Mac Daddy through more inventive ways. Next up, after the break, we dig into the other key to the rapper's success, a gigantic, eye-popping, inflatable ass that descended upon America, crossing land and sea, and even making its way onto the silver screen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, 
retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Of course, radio and video play were only two pieces of the puzzle for Sir Mix-a-Lot. There was another large, okay, huge, actually, piece. Under normal circumstances, Mix would tour, doing concerts and radio shows to promote Baby Got Back and his new album. The trouble was Mix didn't like to fly. This limited the number of places the rapper could travel to, so his publicity team needed a solution. Instead of him dropping by certain cities, a 30-foot-tall, lifelike, inflatable brown ass with the words Sir Mix-a-Lot plastered on each cheek would descend upon targets throughout the country. This giant balloon ass made its debut atop Rough Trade Records on Hate Street in San Francisco at the Gavin Convention, a watershed event held in February 1992 to promote up-and-coming hip-hop artists. In attendance were acts like the young duo Chris Cross and Atlanta Collective Arrested Development. As Dan Charnas writes in his book, The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip-Hop, these acts, along with Mix and that ass, represented a turning point in music. Hip-hop was crossing over and becoming pop. The ass sat perched upon its first throne for five days before moving on to its next destination. So the balloon went from city to city to city. It was gawked at wherever it was. I'm sure there were people who loved it. I'm sure there were people who hated it because it was damn near pornographic. It was naked. It's a naked big butt. Mark Dedia was the general manager and head of promotion at Deaf American American Recordings from 1991 to 1997. But during the promo cycle for Baby Got Back, he became the quote-unquote butt guy, the man responsible for making sure that mammoth inflatable ass made its way across America. Here's how he described working with it. It made appearances around the city, uh, and then we put it, you know, in a FedEx a bag and we sent it to the next city and it kind of caught on and everyone started calling us saying hey, when can we have the butt we want the butt can you send us the butt by next weekend oh i need it the weekend after so it became such a thing that i had to make another one eventually the giant ass landed on broadway on Times square where didia attempted to expose it to some of music's key tastemakers i bribed the security guard at um at a at the building there to have the inflatable blown up in the lobby of MTV. The ceiling was too short, so it kind of blew up left to right instead of top to bottom when they when they inflated it. So when the doors opened, you couldn't get out of, out of the elevator. Okay, that incident caused quite a stir. But the ass would suffer a much graver fate than being a little bit cramped at MTV headquarters. For certain unrulier spectators, it was an easy target. People tried to assassinate the butt. There were people who shot at it. There were people who um, shot arrows into it, bullets, you know. One fateful day, during which someone literally pulled the butt plug, the balloon, freshly mounted atop the Tempo record store on the corner of Sunset Boulevard and La Brea Avenue in Hollywood, was rudely deflated. 
tongue placed firmly in cheek, American Recordings publicist Heidi Allen Robinson decided to lean in and issue a press release. It read, A Tempo store employee reports noticing that the butt balloon was not visible on the roof when he reported to work Sunday evening. Upon investigation, he found an enormous, crippled lump of latex rubber deflated on the roof. Apparently, the criminal element climbed up onto the roof in broad daylight and then literally pulled the plug. What transpired then must have been a horrifying sight. Luckily, the butt balloon was reinflated and remounted on the temple roof. In the press release, Rick Rubin said he'd posted a reward for anyone with information leading to the capture and conviction of the butt assassinator, adding, there are some real sick people in this world. But the butt had plenty of moments in the spotlight as well. It even graced the big screen, making a cameo in Joel Schumacher's 1993 film, Falling Down, a drama in which a fed-up everyman played by Michael Douglas has a psychotic breakdown and begins violently lashing out at the world. Rearing its head in the backdrop of one scene, the ass represented the world going to, uh, shit. Sorry. I don't want none unless you got puns, hon. Of its many adventures, some more dangerous than others, the ass's finest moment may have been in Malibu in 1993, during a convention where radio and records bigwigs would turn up and watch bands play and party. Tadia's plan was to get it blown up on the beach in Santa Monica and put a bikini on it, you know, so it wasn't naked. Afraid it would offend some of the women in attendance, the convention's organizers wouldn't allow it. But Tadia would stop at nothing. Like he had to do when he learned Mix wouldn't fly, he got creative. We wouldn't take no for an answer. I hired a very, very, very loud uh, boat with a deck in the back of the boat with two huge speakers. And I had the boat during the party, like kind of blow up near the coast and spray everyone with water and then go out about 20, 30 feet, turn around, start playing the song Baby Got Back through the speakers and then the inflatable butt blew up and it just sat out there. Because, you know, the the uh, the guys that were running the convention were losing their minds. They're like, you motherfucker, I told you you couldn't have it on the beach. I'm like, it's not on the beach. It's out in the ocean. You can't, can't tell me what to do there. Because he was helping promote Mix's new music, Dan Charnas was on the butt boat. The way he recounts it, the stunt was both a high and low point in his career. I have a memory of this moment of being on this boat in the middle of the bay, in the Santa Monica Bay. Uh just um like I had no food you know but i think in retrospect of course it's i guess my feeling then was like you know this baby got back this is not what i got into the business to do um but it was for me it was my first taste of what the hit record was baby got back wasn't just a hit record not only did the song have back it had legs do you know anyone who doesn't know this song? Who can't recite at least half its lyrics on the spot? You could say it's part of the pop culture fabric, but the fabric ain't big enough to contain it. Its legacy spills out. Think of all its appearances in film, Charlie's Angels, Shrek, on television, Friends, Sarah Palin belting it out while dressed as a bear on The Masked Singer, and in commercials, Burger King, 
Not one of Mix's favorite endorsements, by the way. Think of the parodies. In Living Colors, Jamie Foxx performing Baby Got Snacks as Trail Mix-a-Lot. And my favorite, the amazing video compilation, Baby Got Back, sung by the movies, in which different movie scenes are spliced together so that characters like Chucky, the Terminator, Darth Vader, and Pee Wee Herman say all the words along to the song. Think about the throne on which the female booty, not just the black female booty, but the female booty in general, remains perched today. Without Baby Got Back, would we have Destiny's Child's Bootylicious? J-Lo's insured assets? The Kardashians? Megan Trainor's all about that bass? Megan Thee Stallion? Cardi B? Lizzo in her Emmy-winning reality series, Watch Out for the Big Girls? Normani singing about baking a cake in her 2021 single, Wild Side? Chloe Bailey singing about her big booty in her recent song, Have Mercy? Okay, maybe we'd have some of them, but we certainly wouldn't have Nicki Minaj's 2014 single, Anaconda, which sampled and flipped the script on Baby Got Back, with Minaj creating an ass empowerment anthem from the woman's perspective. When asked about that song, Mix declared, Minaj is Baby Got Back, which was always about applauding and owning your abundant backside. Now, so many women recognize that the ass is not something to hide. It's a weapon to be wielded. One of Mix's fondest memories of performing Baby Got Back occurred in June 2014. The Seattle Symphony's Sonic Evolution, a concert showcasing young composers presenting original music inspired by pop culture, included a piece by Gabriel Prokofiev called Dial 1900 Mix-A-Lot, a reference to a line in Baby Got Back. After the piece, Mix was invited to perform an orchestral rendition of Posse on Broadway and then a 10-minute rendition of Baby Got Back. During the latter, some 40 smartly dressed women, many of whom were white, rushed the stage to shake their asses. Please go find this on YouTube. You will not be disappointed. While the video of that performance went viral, not everyone in the classical community was impressed. The gambling community, however, was pretty ecstatic when the seminal Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida unveiled its I Like Big Bucks slot machines in 2019. As Dowdy Abbey writes in his 2020 book, Emerald Street, The History of Hip-Hop in Seattle, quote, The immovable staying power of the message and continued relevance of this song some 30 years after its release suggest Baby Got Back may not only have had the greatest impact on modern culture of any rap song, but perhaps any other song and any other genre, period. That may sound like hyperbole, but when asked what they think the legacy of the song is, those involved in its creation, promotion, and meteoric rise all seem to agree. There was never anything like Baby Got Back, and there will never be anything like it again. Adam Bernstein, director of the Baby Got Back video. You know, I think the, the legacy on one level, it's it's like you're you're taking his message about inclusivity in the way beauty is defined, and you're mixing that with entertainment, and it was just kind of like a perfect storm. Mark Dadia, former general manager and head of promotion, Deaf American, American Recordings, a.k.a. The keeper of the inflatable ass. Can you imagine trying to put a record like that out right now? 
<laughs> we'd be can we'd be canceled before we made it to the post office. Dan Charnas, former vice president of A&R, Deaf American, American Recordings. I remember many years later, my son at age three or age four watching Shrek. And at the end of Shrek, I don't know, the donkey character, you know, the, the character that Eddie Murphy plays or voices, you know, starts singing Baby Got Back. And so my son at age four, age five is singing this song. And, you know, kids his age know that song. The greatest legacy of Baby Got Back is the change in culture. Patty Galuzzi, MTV's former senior vice president of music and talent, had a similar experience when she found herself watching an episode of Friends with her young daughter years after the song's release. In it, Ross made his baby laugh for the first time by singing Baby Got Back to her. And I thought, wow, you know, if that hadn't happened, if I hadn't had that dinner with Mix, you know, if I hadn't been able to go to bat, if Judy McGrath hadn't been able to say, I agree, I'm with you, let's go back to standards, and push this through, then, you know, it would not have been such a big part of our culture. It would not have been on Friends. I mean, I, I definitely think it was the first, first instance of there being something in pop culture that put forth a body positivity message. And when he wrote this song, was he thinking about body positivity for young women? I don't know. <laughs> but it, it is true that it is the first, the very first, you know, instance that I can think of that really celebrates that beauty comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And, you know, it's fantastic for that. Asks or mix a lot. And he'll tell you his one little song's big impact extends beyond booty pride. He says it helped shift Black female representation in the media as a whole. The legacy of Baby Got Back would probably be that it changed something that needed changing, but from a shallow viewpoint. My viewpoint was shallow intentionally because we weren't, you didn't see Black female lawyers, you didn't see Black female accountants, you didn't see any of that. But it's because everything else that came with them was considered abnormal. That's kind of what Baby Got Back was. It was basically trying to normalize African-American beauty, and then hopefully more would come. And it did. It did. Baby Got Back's iconic, ample-bootied video star, Almond, agrees. I'm glad I did it, because it seemed like after that, everybody jumped on the behind bandwagon. It made history. It's history, baby. And I'm part of that history. I was the first one, and it can never be taken from me or him. Where Were You in 92 was a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The show is researched, written, and hosted by me, Jason Lanfier, with editing and sound design by Michael Alder June. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hold up. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.